The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Well, thank you, Josh. Would you pray with me? And then let's turn our attention to this passage. Let's pray. O oh God of grace, would you open our eyes to see the love you have, sh- have for us, shown most clearly in Jesus? Would you also open up our minds to comprehend this love and open our hearts to believe and receive this love? We pray that you would send your spirit upon this, your word, and set it free to work in our lives, to renovate and transform us, we ask. In the name of Christ, amen. I don't know if anyone else in our church is on the social media platform next door. It's sort of a Facebook intended to connect neighbors with other neighbors. There was a great story on it this week. An individual had took their dog out for a walk one evening. They played in the dog park and on their way home, they realized somewhere along the way they had dropped their wallet. And after retracing all their steps, looking diligently everywhere for this wallet, they could not find the wallet. And they walked home, I'm sure, incredibly discouraged. What a horrible time to have to cancel all your credit cards. What a horrible time to have to attempt to find new government identification during these stay-at-home orders. But much to their surprise, as they arrived home, there was their wallet waiting for them inside their screen door. Someone had found it and anonymously returned it to their house. And you could tell from this post by the likes it received and the comments that were made that people swelled up with pride about it. And there were people from other countries that were commenting on this post saying, this is so Canadian. And there was a certain Canadian pride that, was, that did exist as you read the comments. People were proud to live in a, a country, in a city where someone might lose their wallet and might get returned to their home anonymously. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of something being so Canadian. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think what distinguishes a Canadian from people from other countries. Sure, we could joke about, you know, maple syrup and hockey and Tim Hortons and poutine and the tragically hip. We could joke about saying sorry all the time. These are part of Canadian identity. But what really comes to your mind when you think about what it means to be a Canadian? There has to be some kind of common story or some kind of common identity if a nation is going to be held together for some period of time. Now, we live in a time that's incredibly individualistic, and we rarely celebrate the distinguishing marks of any nation. We might see these uh, distinguishing marks celebrated maybe during the Olympics or sporting events as flags are waved, but rarely do we see people swelling up with Canadian pride. However, there was a change in that about this time last year as COVID-19 became a real pandemic and it posed a real threat to this country. People with healthcare backgrounds were wondering when they would be called up to serve their country by battling COVID-19 on the front lines. And people even with business backgrounds wondering if they were going to be asked to participate for a season in manufacturing 
producing PPE and healthcare equipment so our country could survive this COVID-19 pandemic. There was a certain national pride that swelled up, but also this willingness to sacrifice for the good of the nation that could almost be felt. For any nation to have a healthy future, a hopeful future, there has to be a common story that everyone celebrates, and there also has to be calls for personal sacrifice from time to time for the good of the nation. This is how any nation will have a hopeful future. Well, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, actually a Roman colony, people very, very proud of their Roman citizenship. And he's telling them that there's a certain civic virtue that they must cultivate, not as citizens of the Roman Empire, but citizens of the empire of Jesus. There's a certain uh, manner of life that they are to live out as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus. He says in verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy. This is the language of civics. Live as citizens. Conduct yourself as proper citizens. Perform your civic duties like good citizens of the kingdom of Jesus. The question I want to look at this morning is, how are we to properly conduct ourselves as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus? And I think in this passage, Paul gives us two things that we see common to any national identity. He's going to tell us there's a common story we're going to have to cultivate as proper citizens, and there's also personal sacrifice that we're going to have to embrace if we're going to be proper citizens of this kingdom of Jesus. So let's first look at the common story we're called to cultivate. Where do we see this? Well, we see it most clearly in verse 27, where we're told to conduct our manner of life worthy of the gospel. Paul continues, whether he's able to visit or absent, he wants the church to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for what? For the faith of the gospel. The common story we are called to cultivate is the story of the gospel. Now, the word gospel seems extremely churchy. It's an attempt to translate this word euangelion from Greek. It might surprise some of you to know that this word gospel uh, wasn't a word invented by the Christians. It's kind of a distinctly Christian word in English. But during this moment in history, the word euangelion, this Greek word, would have been used uh, during various scenarios. When a war was won, messengers would have been sent throughout all of the earth heralding good news, euangelion, that the victory had been uh, won during a war. Also, at the new placement of a new king or a new emperor, this would have been seen as good news and it would spread throughout all of the realm. Heralds would send around bearing good tidings or good news, bearing gospel of the appointment and the installation of a new king. Archaeologists have actually found inscriptions in various places, one in a Greek city dating 9 BC, where we're told that the birth of Caesar Augustus was euangelion, it was good news that he had come to be a savior of the world that, and to end wars and to arrange all things. You can find this inscription written in various places online, copied various places online. This word was a, a common word, and the Apostle Paul is telling these predominantly Roman citizens that there's new good news in town. And the good news is not that there is a new Caesar on the throne. The good news is that a new Savior had come, and He really had come to put an end to all wars. That the, not only the birth, but the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus into heaven to sit on the throne at the right hand of God, this was the true good news for all peoples. God had sent His Son, the truly divine one, to come to this world and to engage in the ultimate battle, 
not with any foreign nation, but with Satan and the forces of evil behind and and woven throughout our world. And Jesus won this battle by setting, by by, uh, sacrificing his life on the cross. And his death undid the power of evil, undid the power of sin, it disarmed the the evil rulers of this world, the sort of spiritual realm that had held this world into bondage, lost their power because of this decisive victory Jesus won on the cross. This Jesus now reigns in heaven at God's right hand, and he is the true king, the true master, the one to whom every knee will soon bow. The Apostle Paul is saying, this is the good news, and this is the common story you must cultivate. Rome was telling you that there is other good news, but Paul is saying the truest, the greatest of news has come. Jesus is Lord. He is master. And now you need to conduct yourself as faithful citizens. You need to exhibit allegiance ultimately to this Jesus. The path of salvation he offers, you need to follow it. The way of life he teaches, you need to obey. This is the common story we must cultivate. God in Jesus had, had provided a salvation for a world in bondage. Now, how are we to cultivate this common story? Well, how do we cultivate the common Canadian story? Do we not learn about it in history class as students? Do we not uh, distinguish and market Canadian content, promote Canadian art? Do we not stamp a maple leaf on Canadian products? Do we not come together, mostly at sporting events, but sing a song that reminds us of our Canadian identity? You see, our, our lives are filled with various ceremonies and rituals, liturgies, we could say, patterns that cultivate a common story about what it means to live in Canada. But if we are now part of the kingdom of Jesus, what this means is we need to come together and cultivate this common story through teaching and reciting the history of Jesus, through studying his teachings, through singing our various national anthems. This is what we do every Sunday when we come together. We cultivate this common story that our identity is ultimately found as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus. We come together and remind ourselves that Jesus won a decisive battle on the cross and he is working now. He is our hope, not our wealth. He is our true happiness, not our health. Our life is found in Him. We must make it a priority to come together and cultivate this common identity. I fear post-COVID-19, with the convenience of watching church in your pajamas as you're laying on the couch, how hard it is going to be to see people to come together again. But we must, we must come together and say, Jesus is the King of Kings. We must make this a commitment. But it's not just that we are to cultivate a common identity. Paul also tells us that there's personal sacrifices that we will have to make for the kingdom if we are to conduct ourselves as proper citizens. So let's talk about these personal sacrifices we're called to embrace. Now, it's interesting, Paul uses military images when he says language like stand firm in one spirit and mind or strive side by side for the faith of the gospel in verse 27. He speaks of having opponents, of enemies, and he talks about not being frightened by them. This is very militaristic. He tells us, though, in verse 29 that we will suffer. And in verse 30, he says, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here I still have. Now, what is this sacrifice that we are called to embrace. 
Well, we are called to embrace a sacrifice that takes place in the midst of a battle. Listen, Paul is chained to a Roman guard. Let me try to help you understand some of the language he's using. He's chained up to a Roman guard. He's probably hearing military talk all day long. He might even be seeing these Roman soldiers drill during their times, uh, during their times when they're not connected with him. Paul also is, knows he's writing this letter to the church of Philippi. And if you know anything about ancient history, Philippi was home of two of the greatest civil wars following the assassination of Julius Caesar. At Philippi, Brutus and Cassius were eventually defeated by Mark Antony and Octavian, and the civil war of Rome ended. And because of that, Philippi, though in a very Greek area, became a Roman colony. Soldiers were permitted to retire there. It was a place in which uh, militarized ceremonies were still very common. The Roman army still had uh, their stations there, and it was the Roman army which was known for fighting in a, in a very unique uh, f- form, formation, which was almost undefeated in the ancient world. Kids, might, you might know this from some of your ancient history books, or you might know this from movies like Gladiator, but they had a military strategy called the testudo, the tortoise. They would lock all their shields together, the front row uh, standing forward, the back row holding their shields above their heads, and they would slowly march towards the enemy line. Rather than engaging, engaging in a mass one-on-one uh, hand combat that was traditional at the time, they would lock together in these formations and march forward and split the enemy's line. This approach to war was virtually undefeated for hundreds of years. This m- tactic is still used today by riot police. They would stand side by side. They would slowly move forward. Paul is using this picture of this Roman militarized language to tell the church at Philippi, this is how they are going to conduct themselves. This is the sacrifice they're called upon. They're not going to engage on isolated individualistic battles for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus. No, they're all going to have distinct roles. They're going to come together. Some will be on the front lines holding those front shields. Some will be on the back lines holding the shields up. Some will be blowing the trumpets, uh, bringing order to the military. But they are called to join up with their fellow soldiers and stand firm. Some hand out bulletins. Some do set up. Some say hi to people that wander into the church alone. Some are incredible at, at sharing the news of Jesus with others. Some aren't great at it, but they're good at inviting people to network with their Christian community. Some make incredible arguments for the credibility of the Christian faith. Some exhibit supernatural compassion to our world. The Apostle Paul, though, is saying, whatever role you play, you are to come together and to stand firm. Join up in this Roman tortoise shape and slowly strive side by side. And when the enemy sees you coming together, the same way they would see the Romans form this tortoise shape, they panic. Paul says, as the church stays unified, as it comes together with its different roles, standing strong, striving slowly but surely forward, the Apostle Paul says, this is a clear sign of the enemy's destruction, but also a clear sign of the salvation that we have received from God. But how does this battle move forward? This militarized language is dangerous. Are we to conduct ourselves uh, in culture wars? Are we to seek to take over governments, to take over industries, take over cities? Are we to battle? No. I hope that would go without saying. We're to engage in this conflict the same way Paul did. And how did Paul engage in this conflict? He shared the good news of Jesus, and he suffered for announcing that good news. 
This is how the battle is fought. And this is how it is won. Jesus won through suffering. So also we will win through suffering with Jesus. The kingdom will advance through suffering. It's quite interesting that Paul uses the language of suffering as a gift. He says it has been granted for us not only to believe, but also to suffer. He gives two hallmarks of the Christian faith, belief and suffering. It's interesting that though we are to strive side by side, the Apostle Paul doesn't actually say we're striving against anyone. We're striving for the faith of the gospel. There's a huge distinction. This militarized language could go wrong. The world is not our enemy. Our goal is to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And though we suffer, we are to take hope that that suffering is the means by which the kingdom will advance. Now, Paul is saying suffering is certainly a part of the Christian life, but we must be careful. Christians have a long history of seeking out suffering, trying to create situations where they feel persecuted so that they can know that they're doing the right thing. The Apostle Paul is telling us, listen, suffering will come, but we don't need during that time to cry out and join together and participate in this sort of uh, love of victim culture. When we suffer, we can know that the kingdom is moving forward. We can rejoice with Paul. Sure, some of our suffering is unjust and we have every right to plead our legal uh, options that are before us. But when we suffer, we should rejoice knowing that this is exactly how God wants to spread his kingdom. And this is the sacrifice that everyone is called to embrace. Listen, if no one knows you're a believer, I promise you, you will not suffer for the sake of your faith. So this assumes that you're going to have to at least talk about your commitment to King Jesus. But also, no one suffers if you simply adopt the ethics of the world around us carte blanche. If you just go along with every social trend that takes place in our world, I promise you, you also will never ever suffer. But the Apostle Paul is telling us that the mark of a Christian is someone who has faith in Jesus and someone who suffers for Jesus as well. The goal is to see the gospel advance, that more people might know our loving Savior. And it's our hope in the midst of suffering that more and more people might come to know this Jesus. <clears throat> this is the personal sacrifice we are called to embrace. This is the suffering that we participate in that brings about the gospel advancement. It was in Philippi as Paul challenged the idolatry of the town that he was beaten and thrown into prison. And Paul is now saying, engage in the same conflict you saw me engage in. Listen, there was a time in which suffering felt distant and abstract for many in the Western church. But it's not the case anymore. You and I both know that though we will not be beaten or imprisoned for our faith, there is a good chance some in our community will be canceled. Some will be slandered online. Some will be told that they hold to particular beliefs that do not fit into the company's standards. We will be accused of being un-Canadian. As we say, Jesus is the true king, and the ethic that he promotes is the ethic which I will live under. The laws he gives are the laws I will obey. There is a very real suffering that has come to many in our church and will come to you if you live faithful as those who are citizens and Jesus' kingdom. But listen, it's in that suffering that we know our salvation is certain. And it's in that suffering we get a chance to identify with, to link up with Jesus. This is why Paul 
calls this suffering something like a gift. Now, as I conclude, where are we going to find the power to do this? Where are we going to find the power to suffer well? Well, don't forget that common story. The way Jesus won our salvation, the way he conquered, the way he dealt a mortal blow to the enemy was through suffering. Jesus suffered for us. He took on not only just the sufferings of this world, but he also took on God's full displeasure, his full offense against sin. And so this righteous anger and displeasure of God against all the wrongs that had been done fell on Jesus. But as he conducted his life in a way that was pleasing to God, and as he gave his life as a sacrifice, his death on the cross now overshadows the wrongs that have been done by sin. God sees his death on the cross and delights in the life of Jesus, knowing that Jesus lived the life all humans should have lived, and he died the sacrificial death that everybody else deserved. And so what this means now is God seeing the suffering of Jesus. He sees it, and he delights in Jesus, and he delights in the people who are Jesus' people, the people of Jesus' realm. And what this means is no matter what suffering you might face, we are never facing suffering because God is angry with us. God is calling us to cultivate a common story and to embrace a common sacrifice so that we might be more bonded to our Savior and our King, Jesus Christ, the one who truly and definitively suffered for us. This is our hope. Conduct yourselves properly as citizens of this kingdom this week. Let me pray.